Hey, friends. Have a great episode today, something that's near and dear. I'm calling it Principles of Life. And let me just define that. Uh, I do it in the episode, but let me define that a little bit. In Principles of Life, I'm talking about non-obvious patterns and truths that exist for good and for bad in our lives, whether we like it or not. And in this episode, I talk about nine different principles that are not obvious, but they have a tremendous impact on our life. And so go through them uh, one by one, just a few minutes on each one. And I think there'll be a lot of different takeaways from this particular episode that you'll enjoy and hopefully be able to apply in your life. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. I'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel and certainly appreciate any good ratings you can give our way. Thanks so much. All right. So today we are going to talk about this idea of the principle of principles of life. And we're going to go through a number of different principles. But before we get started, this it's kind of a vague idea, principles of life. What what do you mean by that? And um what got yeah. you thinking about this? Well, actually, th- this has just come out of time that I spend in the in the morning reflecting on things that are going on around me. And the the more I do that, the more I've become aware that there are these repeating patterns. There's mm. these things going on that if I pay attention, I go, this keeps on happening. I'm seeing this time and time again. And so without even thinking about it, I made notes in my journal about this is like a principle. This is like a truth, a pattern that always seems to be true. Uh, And so I kind of began an informal little list of these things that I've learned that are true and that by learning these principles, it also helps me shape some of my decisions and choices, which is the point of this, not just to have head knowledge, but to have knowledge that will help us live better lives. So um, as I began to think about this and accumulate these, I thought these would be good to share. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the reasons I think it's particularly good and useful to me is that the way I'm defining principles of life, I'm throwing in kind of my definition, which is non-obvious patterns and truths that exist for good and for bad, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. And maybe a key to this is this thought that it's non-obvious, that these are truths and patterns that show themselves time and time again, almost underneath in an invisible way. They always tend to happen this way. You know, life tends to go this way. And if we can identify these things that aren't smacking us in the face, mm-hmm. so to speak, then it, it can help us tremendously um, do better in our lives. You know, as you're talking about, I like how you say they're non-obvious. They're a little bit hidden because I do think that there are these principles that govern the universe, right? And we think about this, we study about this in science. We study about this in the physical world. So, but we don't, there are laws of nature and laws of physics that we can't touch, but we see evidence of them and nobody's arguing with them. There are these patterns that govern the natural world. And just like there's a law of gravity. Well, if you are on a tree branch and you fall off or jump off, you're going to fall to the ground. And you don't get up and say, I'm so mad at the law of gravity that I fell and got hurt. You're aware of it and you make your decisions based on it. And when I look at your list about these different principles, I think they're really interesting because you're naming these hidden patterns of things that we as human beings do, our practices, the patterns and the way we think. Um, and and because they're abstract, it's easy to dismiss them and say they don't exist. But as you name them, 
if when the listeners are listening, if they affirm that and they think, oh, gosh, that's really true, then it empowers us to respond just like someone isn't going to jump off a tree branch because they know they're going to fall. Exactly. And and the way these patterns tend to work is that we, uh, we fall into one of two camps with them. They're either working for our benefit, even if we are not acknowledging that they exist, but because we have habits or patterns in our own life and they, they're working for us, uh, or often they are the places that we develop ruts in our life. Mm-hmm. And we know we're in a rut, but we don't know why we're in the rut. We have a hard time identifying the rut. And that's where these principles can come in and we can say, well, what's underneath what created this rut is this principle. And if I'm going to get out of this rut, I need to see a little bit differently how this principle is at work and change these things. So that, that's a little bit vague until we get into some of the specific things that uh, I've outlined here. And the other thing I'd want to say is that this is a list that we'll kind of go through and, and really do short little segments on each one. It's by no means exhaustive. Mm-hmm. What I would hope in the best of worlds is that this would encourage anybody that's listening at, to this to identify principles that might be true in their own life. Same kind of uh thoughts with this of these non-obvious patterns and so that we can begin to think that life does work according to certain truths that are consistent and to certain patterns and so that people can identify their own truths and patterns. Hopefully these will be helpful also, but they're by no means uh, exhausted. They're ones that I have become more and more aware of that I see affecting other people. And so therefore, we're bringing it to the forefront. Well, and I like how you called this overarching uh, idea, this these episodes, principles of life, because what we're doing is we are naming these patterns, these principles that are there for good or for bad. And by naming them, it helps us get sort of above them and empowers us to make these choices, which segues really well into one of the principles you name, which is the principle of naming. Yes. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Yeah. And I'm going to read these as we go through this because I've tried to be somewhat precise Mm -hmm. with the words around it uh, so that it captures it. So I'll call this one the principle of naming. And the way the principle of naming goes is the names we give and receive when spoken have the power to bless and to curse, Mm -hmm. rebuke names that harm, embrace names that give life. And where this comes to play, let me read that one more time. The names we give and receive, the names we give and receive when spoken have the power to bless and to curse. Rebuke, therefore, the names that harm and embrace the names that give life. Mm -hmm. The idea behind this is uh, when I grew up, I heard time and time again the old uh, phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the biggest lies that ever exists out there. Words are powerful. Words carry incredible strength to affect us, whether it's the words that I speak to you, mm-hmm. if I were to say something to you, or the words I say to myself, those words, when they're spoken, when we hear them, have a, a potency to them that we dramatically underestimate. This is the non-obvious part, is we think, well, I just, I didn't really mean that, or you're taking it too seriously or something like that. And we don't realize the power of those words and the non-obvious piece of the principle of naming is these words that we speak to other people and to ourselves have incredible power to bless people or to curse people. And then the 
flip side of that, because we can't control all the words that other people speak to us, is that we need to exercise uh, a strength to choose with great intentionality to rebuke names that are harmful Mm -hmm. in our life. And at the same time, to embrace words of life. So I think so often the first tendency, if I were to say something negative to you, would be to go, oh, that's true. Oh, mm-hmm. gosh, oh, I feel so bad. We, we immediately own those words. If I were to take the same scenario and I were to say something really positive, oh, that's not really true. You know, and, and what I'm suggesting in this principle is that we reverse that. First of all, that we are very careful about words we speak out loud to ourselves or to others, particularly those we love, but that when words are spoken to us that are harmful, that pull us down, that we exercise great strength to go, I'm not going to receive that. Mm-hmm. I am not going there. Uh, do not accept that. You know, a, really a powerful statement. And the same thing when good words, you know, are spoken to us. Thank you. You know, I I so appreciate that. I'm I'm humbled by the mm-hmm. fact that you see that in me. So this this principle of naming and and counting the power of our words is so critical to a life well lived. I really like that and I think when you're when you're using the word naming you're also you're bringing in the idea of labeling cuz l- labeling has a negative connotation because it's almost like you're taking a human being and you're putting these boundaries around who they mm-hmm. are as a human being. And so w- on one hand it can be defining And that helps someone know who they are if it's a positive thing. But there's always kind of a limit to labeling. And I've heard the expression, labels aren't for people, they're for jars. You know, right, so yeah. because and I think the idea behind that is l- labeling is useful because it gives information and words and naming are useful because they convey information. But we have to be careful whenever we take names and labels and definitive words that we attach to being and to identity and we put them on a human being. Well, because humans are are so much more glorious, and I mean, we just defy labels. And and it, when you, I've heard this many times. When you have a child who's born with some sort of disability, you read all this literature about what the child will or will not do. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, that child might completely defy the parameters of what's put out. And it also um, it it's it sets limits on humanity and what love can do in a human being. So I just think that there's real importance in this concept of proclaiming words when you're talking to people, especially the ones that are closest to you, that are going to call forth kind of a, a, the best in the person. Because we can exactly. bring out the best or the worst according to how we interact with people we love. Exactly. And I, I just want to encourage people as i hopefully encourage myself to to not fall back on the excuse and the rationalization. I'm just being honest. That is, that's so weak. That's so (laughs) so weak. weak. And I just, you know, these words are powerful. So let's lift one another up with words and let's choose to restrain those honest words that we would want to speak to someone that are just honest. Well, and I'll give a practical thing that I've learned the hard way. And I picked up on this from a a video I saw of Bob Goff and his wife. What do they call Bob Goff? If any of you have heard of him, he's this, this great writer, very winsome, very fun. And he and his wife, he calls his wife Sweet Maria. And they're they're just a delightful couple and writer, uh, author. You can read many of his books. But I saw an interview one time where he and his wife were talking, and he she said, "What she spoke directly to women, 
And she said, whatever you believe about your husband or your spouse, he will become that. Hmm. And I thought that was so powerful because we almost have this, this opportunity with our spouses, whether you're a woman or a man, um, to look at them and see the best or the worst. And what we focus on almost grows those traits. So if we focus on the worst traits, we're, we're feeding them. Whereas yes. if we focus on the best traits, we're inviting those to grow. And that's that whole idea of naming. Exactly. It's, it is so powerful and all pervasive in terms of this. It's a great one to begin with. Okay. So let's also talk about the principle of firsts. What do you mean by that? Uh, this is one that I honestly learned straight from the Bible because okay. I found in the Bible time and time again this emphasis on uh, first things. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the uh, clear examples of that in the Bible is the whole concept of giving, of tithing, if you want to use that word in the Bible, is to come from the first fruits mm -hmm. of a harvest. In other words, when you go out and you grow a crop, the command that is around that is to take the first tenth and give it, because the first is foremost it's most important to us. It's most valuable. It gets our greatest attention. Mm -hmm. And so what I've come to learn is that that principle of the first being the most important carries through to so many areas of life. And that which is first is foremost in our life. That's what the principle of the first is. That which is first is foremost in our life. And where that comes to play is if we understand that principle, it means that we can reorder our lives the way we want to simply by reordering where something comes mm -hmm. in our life. So for me, one of the places that that's so important and so true is my first hour of the day. Mm -hmm. My first hour of the day is so critical and so important. It is the centering time, and it is the acknowledgement on my part of what I consider to be foremost, most important in my life. And inevitably, that which is not first is not foremost in our life. So one of the things that you know, I have struggled with all over the years is having a consistent exercise routine mm -hmm. because it was never the first thing in my life. I couldn't stand to think about exercising first thing in the morning. But those that are listening that do exercise first thing in the morning know that that very choice to put it first is a statement of its importance. And it's a statement that reinforces it itself every time that you make it first. Another place is with regards to money. So one of the practices we have is the first of the money goes into an account that's a, a giving account mm -hmm. because we want giving to be a core value for ourselves. If I waited to see if I had money at the end of the month, guess what? I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I would never make that. So when we begin to think about that with the people in our lives, the habits in our lives, our money, our time, it can begin to, to say, okay, I know that I want this to be the most important thing in my life. I'm having a hard time making it so therefore, let me see if there's some way I can make this a first in my life. Yeah. And I'm like you, I tend to spend the first hour of my day doing what's important to me, but I'm really bad about scheduling my week in terms of putting the most important things in because I have a job that 
a lot of things are thrown at me. Most of what I do is raising my children at home, and there's all sorts of unpredictable things. So I tend to live a little bit of a reactive life. And you've taught me, we've talked about this a lot, about that concept of the jar and the rocks, where you put the big rocks in first, and then you pour all the tiny little rocks, and it all fits. Right. Whereas if you pour the tiny little rocks first and then put the big rocks, it doesn't fit. Right. And that's a visual example of what you're saying, like do the first things first. Whether it's how you spend your time in the morning, whether it's what you eat in the morning. We've talked about this before. I was saying how your body uh, absorbs the nutrients of your first meal more than any other meal. So putting the healthy things in first. In fact, I've been learning a lot about every time you sit down to eat a meal. If you put the protein or the vegetables in first, then the dessert doesn't really impact you the same way. Exactly. Yeah. So it's that physical concept applied to our thought patterns, applied to our spiritual patterns, applied to how we schedule our week. And I think that idea of first things first is a principle that when we become aware of it, we can be more thoughtful about the way we approach it. Right. One of my practices is is every single day I have a first priority. Hmm. You know, I identify amongst all the things that I need to do that which is first. I also do that on a weekly basis. So in my weekly planning time, I delineate amongst the many things that which is first. So there's an interesting, again, it's it's where I've seen this within the Bible. If you think of one of the most quoted verses of Jesus, is he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. In other words, pay attention to that which is first. The other things will take care of themselves. They will happen, or they won't happen, but it won't make that much difference if you put first things first. That's the principle of the firsts. I love that. So true. Okay, let's move on to principle of environment. What do you mean by that? Okay, so I'll, I'll read out what I mean by that, and then I'll give a little bit of context. The principle of environment says, the environment we create, the people the places, and the inputs create the trajectory of our life. Change the environment, change the trajectory. Hmm. And this comes out of a sense in my observance of my life as well as our culture around us that we have a tremendous overemphasis on the individual, that we can do it all by ourselves. And if we're struggling with something, then we just need to buck up and try harder because we as a as an individual entity have all the power to do anything we want to do. And we dramatically underestimate the influence of the environment around us. Mm-hmm. And this may or may not be obvious to people, But the environment, that is the people that you are connecting with on a regular basis, the places you've put yourself on a regular basis, the inputs that you allow from the outside into your life, whether it's social media or TV or the books you read or whatever, these things have a tremendous influence on determining the trajectory of our life, whether that trajectory is flat, whether it's going downhill, or whether it's going up. So if we were to just put out some trite examples, if we spent every single night of our life in a bar, what's the chances that our life is going to go the direction we we want? Mm -hmm. You know, that's an environment. One of the things that's been incredibly uh, helpful to me is this very place where we're doing this podcast is a redesigned area of our house that was functionally a playroom for the kids when they were young and was completely unappealing. And we have made this a place. And that place has brought forth such life and creativity and joy in my life. And you'd you'd think on the surface, well, what difference does a place make? You can think 
and, and have joy anywhere. Mm-hmm. But no, places make a difference. And so these environments, the people we spend the most time with, the sources of voices coming to us, uh, the inputs, gosh, massive, the choices of what we allow into our brains and eyes and ears will have so much larger an influence on the direction we go than we ever imagined. And so the corollary of that is if you don't like the direction that you're going, change your environment. Mm -hmm. Look at what in your environment needs to shift. Well, and I have two ways that I see this principle play out. I have a friend that lives in LA and she moved out there from New York and she's really unhappy there. And she says, everyone's unhappy in LA. It's such a lonely place, which I don't know. I've never lived in LA. So it seems like a beautiful, happy place, sunshine all the time, like beautiful strawberries, (laughs) you know, and produce. So it seems like a great place. But she's thinking about moving and she's literally thinking like, where are people happy? Like, where, yeah. where are happy cities? Where are happy places to go? And I also have some um, children who have grown up and are looking at colleges. And they, I feel like it's really important when you think about where you want to go to college, not just about the academic rigor, but where are where is there a general vibe of well-being and health? Or where are places where everyone just seems like depressed and under the grind? And I, I've started to really value that as much as you know, the ranking or whatever we used yeah. to evaluate colleges by. Well, and that's so non-obvious because, you know, we'd want to think, well, you know, you can thrive anywhere. Right. You know, let's find the best educational institute and you make it what you want to make it. But that's where we so underestimate this principle of the environment and paying attention, as you said, mm-hmm. to the environment we place ourselves in, our children in, um, which is People, places, and inputs. Well, and to conflate those two, the environment, the principle of environment and the principle of naming, I think we have an incredible power in our workplaces and in our families to create a more positive environment. Yes. And I was just discussing this with Steve the other day about how much lately I need to be around people that have a positive view on life, that have a hopeful view on life, that the words that literally come out of their mouth are elevating and lifting up and not just like depressing and taking down. And so I I think that there's some intentionality even in the people that we surround ourselves with and in the words that we input into our homes and into our work environment. It, it, it It's like it either is moving up or it's moving down. Well, exactly. And the intentionality that you spoke of, of realizing that certain people absolutely can drag you down. And instead of looking at that as a weakness in you, that you're allowing them to drag you down, we need to realize that this is the power of environment and yeah. make that intentional choice. It uh, doesn't mean all the time that you're never around anybody negative, but you you do it with some some thoughtfulness. Well, and I want to throw in one caveat about the principle of environment and the people we surround ourselves with, because being overtly positive and unrealistic is also not exactly helpful. It's sort sure. of a departure from reality. And that's where I think there are people out there who have the gift of being negative in a positive way or being realistic in a positive way, I would say. And the thing I've observed is that there are people who bring humor into uh, situations and they'll say something that isn't necessarily like hopeful or optimistic or positive, but it's a way of grounding interactions, grounding observations in a way that is funny. And humor does that. Great. And and humor is its own environment. Right. It's its own environment. Yeah. But I, I think I just throw that out there because I think that there is a place for a sober view of reality. And we can do that in a way that isn't creating a pattern of a toxic environment. Well, exactly. And and the the desire in in naming this principle of environment is not that we become controlling, limiting people to only be around people who are nice, 
good, encouraging, and only be in beautiful places. It's to be thoughtful and t- intentional about the balances and and understanding of the influences so that the places that we go, whether they're beautiful places or not, and the people we go to are done with intention and thought, mm-hmm. understanding the impact that that has on us. Great. Yeah, I definitely can see that, how that resonates. Okay, so this next one I really like, and I've never noticed or thought about this, but it's the principle of finishing well. I've heard that phrase, finish well, you know, it's sort of what they say at the end of a running race, finish well, or at the end of a job or career, finish well. But how do you see this principle playing out in general in life? Okay, so first of all, I have to say that this is a very personal one for me. Okay. In fact, it's so personal that you know I I do goals every year. I know. And it's, it's a big deal for me. Finish well is my number one goal for this year. It has risen to that level of importance in my life. And it was because I recognized in myself this tendency to stop short, mm-hmm. to to do the 80% and then stop, to not do that last part of finishing well and of doing the hard things. And as such, I was losing so much value because I was stopping short. Uh, For instance, on things like, uh, you know, with the book that I wrote or the podcast, I would go, well, marketing's hard for me. So I'll just do the podcast and it'll go where it went. And I would make that decision to stop short. And I realized how much that was holding me back, not only from a level of successfulness in terms of things, but it was holding me back because it was an expression of a negative character trait Hmm. in me. So the principle of finishing well is finishing well, whether it is our day, a task, a project, a goal, or even a season of our lives is an expression of our character. Finishing well enables strong new beginnings. And that is so personal to me that I realize that there's this choice when I take on something to say, I'm going to do this well. And I I want to make a strong statement that well and perfect are not the same thing. Well, I think that's really important because perfectionism ends up really diminishing and it's a a lot about self-criticism. Absolutely. And I think underneath this principle of finishing well, that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid this um, confidence dip that I think happens when we don't finish well. Because it's really less about, did I you know, finish all the dishes or did I do a great job with the marketing or did I do a great job on that report I had to do? It's more about the sense of self and these repeated tasks that we're doing. If we're always coming up short, if we're always doing less than our our best, it has this impact on our identity. However, we're not talking about perfection. Right. Because that also has this impact on our identity. That, in, that, in a negative way. Yeah, that's a trap too. I'll, I'll tell a funny story on on my brother. Uh, if he listens to this, he might beat me up. But um, when when he was young, he wasn't really in, into school. And my parents were great about not being too demanding of, about us in school. And so they they told us all along that we don't we're not asking that you be straight A students. We'd rather have a well-balanced C student than an A student. Well, brother took that really to heart. This was great. So the very next day he went in, uh, this was elementary school, went in and they had a, a test, I don't know, math test or something. And so about 10 minutes into the class, he walked up to the teacher and he handed her the paper and he said, is this good enough for C? <laughs> Wait, can we can we name which brother? Mike. Oh, I was wondering. I know both your brothers. So I was wondering. That's right. So the point is, that's actually the way I've lived my life. And because I could kind of get away. Right. And I could 
get to the B level pretty easily. It's like nobody was calling me out on that. And I realized that is just so, so poor to live that way. So that has become my goal for the year is the things that I do, do them well and finish them well. Well, that dovetails really well with the next principle, because I don't think we can finish well if we haven't had at all any rest, if we hadn't have, if we haven't had enough rest in our life. And I think about that in a lot of the projects I've done. Sometimes it's not necessarily about do I finish or do I not finish well? It's about I've run out of energy for this. I need to take a little bit of break and then revisit it so that I can finish it well. Right. But we're not capable sometimes of going so hard through the whole project. So let's switch gears and go into the next principle, which is the principle of space. Okay. Uh, obviously, another one that's very close to my heart. Did you write a book about this? I think I did. I think you did. Yeah. Um, and what I do want to say about these, uh, before I jump into the principle of space, is these are, uh, there is a lot of overlap, mm -hmm. but there's also, uh, they're not necessarily connected. So my hope is that for those listening, that they'll find a nugget that really works for them. And maybe you can't relate to the principle of finishing well, but you relate to the principle of space or whatever. So uh, these are just kind of almost individual types of truths that will land with people differently. Well, yeah. And if we went back to what we talked about in the beginning, these we talked about the laws of nature. In a sense, these are what you're naming are laws of human nature. Yes. And for mm -hmm. good or for bad. And they're they're connected, but they also stand on their own. Right. So the principle of space, the way I've stated it says growth requires space. Space for rest, reflection, clarity, creativity, and purpose. Increase the space, increase the growth. Well, I can think of no other principle on this list that is less encouraged and more counterintuitive than this one, because everything about our community and our culture right now tells us go, 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 go. And we feel guilty for taking space. We feel guilty for taking rest. But what you're saying is that growth doesn't happen without space for rest, reflection, clarity, creativity, purpose, and purpose. Right, exactly. And we can take um, we can take gardening as as an example. I've used this straight from the parable of the sower. But you know, uh, you cannot grow anything in hard pan. And what is hard pan? It's it's compacted dirt so tightly that there's no space in it. And when you think of someone bringing to you topsoil, it's it's this rich, pure soil with lots of space to easily be able to plant seeds for those seeds to take root and to grow. And what I've come to understand even more, particularly through the year of of Jubilee of last year is that this principle is not only true in general, but it's true in magnitude. That is, when we do that countercultural thing to say that I'm going to increase the space in my life, we also increase the growth. Mm -hmm. So hmm. as much as it's hard to imagine, I will often encourage someone who's trying to work through something, why don't you schedule a full day to go off and just work on this one thing? And I can see the immediate reaction, a whole day to think about this one thing? You've got to be kidding me. I can maybe give it 30 minutes. And if we give it 30 minutes, that's what we get out of it. Mm -hmm. We get 30 minutes of growth. We get 30 minutes of depth. And so I've realized and been trying to live more and more as I took that space in the year of Jubilee to say, I grew more in that year than almost any year I can think of. And it was because I had more space, even as someone who wrote Space to Breathe Again, <clears throat> than at any time in my life. And so I'm trying to expand those spaces in my life 
and realizing that the best of what I have to offer and the growth that I have is directly commensurate with the amount of space that I give in my life. That's a game changer if we are brave enough to put that to the test. Well, and I have an example of that recently. I've I'm not taking classes right now. I've cleared some ske- some time out for my schedule for various other things that I have to work on. So I'm just as busy, but I have some flexibility. And this weekend, I decided I was going to go visit my sister who lives about two hours outside of town. And there is something about putting some distance and space between you and your your place of work or your place of all your productivity and tasks. I also find being in nature, being in wide open spaces helps mentally. Yeah. That that environment of visually seeing space helps create space inside me and inside my creativity. But the thing I've noticed about this principle of space is that you need to warm up into it. Like when we immediately enter into um, space, mental space, time for creativity, lack of productivity, it's unfamiliar to us. And it feels a little awkward. It's like we haven't exercised in a long time and it feels a little weird when we start to. Right. So I had, like you said, if you if you only put 30 minutes into it, you only get 30 minutes out of it. Well, I had two days and the first day, nothing productive came out of it. I just drove to my sister's. We hung out. We got some delicious ice cream. It was great. But it was a real integral part of what happened the next day when I was driving back to Richmond. I just had this thought, this instinct to to pull over into this little town that's about 30 minutes outside of Richmond. I knew if I went back to Richmond, I would not have the mental space for the work I wanted to do. So I found this tiny little coffee house called Mud House in Crozet. Shout out to Mud House in Crozet. They had delicious coffee. And I sat down and wrote for two hours straight. I had more fun with what I was writing. It was an enjoyable process. And when I go back to read it, I guarantee you there will be better content in that two hours than I would have ever gotten if I had stayed at home in Richmond and been productive all day and then the next day and blocked out two hours to write. Those those two hours were worth more because I had taken the time away than if I had stayed home and done those two hours. That's such a great example. And I love it because that repeats itself time and time again when I've gone on retreats and led different retreats. It's often that last piece of the time that is enabled by all of the first time in the space. You can't just jump to that last two hours, like you said. And that's the value, again, of recognizing these principles as non-obvious truths, because the more we can see this is the way life works, the more we can intentionally do exactly what you did and say, I'm going to create that space, knowing that good things will happen. I'm going to do this with some intentionality. And I love what you said about physical space as well as time space. Mm -hmm. Um, In our relationships, this is where growth happens. It Again, it's a pervasive, non-obvious truth that covers all parts of life. Okay, so the counterintuitive nature of this principle is that growth requires space. Growth requires physical space. Growth requires slowing down, even though we think you know, saturating our lives with productivity is the way to have growth. It's really quite the opposite. So let's move on to the next one, which is principle of small changes. What do you mean by that? Another another great one that I've found to just be so utterly true in my life. Um, the principle of small changes says that small changes made slowly and adhered to steadily create major enduring change. And it might be one that when I state, people go, well, that's obvious. You know, if you make small changes and you keep on making them over time, but we forget it in terms of how we live. Mm -hmm. And so what I realize is that if I make these small changes and, you know, uh, a diet would be a good example. Um, gone through a lot of changes in terms of health. And 
one of the ways it began was with a goal Mm -hmm. that said I wanted to uh, address this weight that I had at the time. And I said, I'm going to to do that by a series of small changes adhered to for a lengthy period of time. And so my goal was simply for one year to not have any desserts except for very special occasions, and I identified those. and said, the goal is not to lose X amount of pounds. The goal is simply to adhere to a relatively small change for an extended period of time and let that extended period of time do its work. And it did. So this can happen in all sorts of ways with habits is is a tremendous place that we can apply this uh, principle of small changes. We could make the principle of small change in a relationship. We could simply say, you know what? For one year, I'm going to offer one compliment to X person every day. Small change. Watch the difference that will make in a relationship. So the idea is that we we start off so hot and we take on big, exhaustive things, and then we flame out quickly and nothing changes. The idea is small changes adhere to regularly for a lengthy period of time, and those changes will stick. They will endure. Well, and I've heard you say this before, and I think selecting a small change takes a little bit of time. It's not something that I've been able just to pick up on. It's almost like you have to listen to what your life is telling you for a period of time with this, like maybe the first step in this principle is the small changes. I'm going to take the next month and pay attention to my life to see what small change my life is is telling me I could take. That's great. Absolutely. You know, pay, just paying attention. Um, because, you know, I, I, I think about how I think I've shared this before in our podcast that for a long time, I would wake up in the morning and have time alone where I would participate in a practice of prayer. But what I noticed over time is that practice of prayer never left me feeling uplifted or any better. It was more like swimming in a negative thought pattern, even though it was in the name of something spiritual and good. And so the small change I made was I started that prayer time, not with praying, but just writing down three good things that happened to me the day before, or three ways that I felt like I saw God's presence the day before. And that is the tiniest change. It actually took less time than my quote unquote prayer time before, but that changed the way my outlook for the day was. And I've noticed at night, which ties into your finishing well idea, how I finish my day sometimes also might have a pattern of negativity or worry or something not really that I want to mark my dreams at night. And so if I could change the way I end my day, just a tiny tweak, maybe reflecting on something I'm thankful for or um, reading something positive, that tiny change could really change my, just the atmosphere of my sleep while I'm, you know, at the subconscious level. See, we didn't even talk about this beforehand, but you're doing exactly what I thought. It's like you're combining all of these things and you're leveraging them. You know, talked about uh, small changes, talked about space, talked about finishing well, talked about environment, all in one way of improving our lives. And that's the way these things compound, you know, in our lives. So it's, it's a perfect example. But Going back to your initial point, yes, giving thought to what is that small change that I could make when adhered to over a lengthy amount of time will create enduring change. Giving that thought and not just jumping in is absolutely important. Yeah, and the, and the obstacle to this working is having too big of a change or too many changes. And I've learned that the hard way. So I, I love the idea of small changes. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, let's talk about what you call the principle of divine multiplication. Okay, this is one that, uh, again, I've just 
observe to be true. And this is a this is a faith-based one that uh, I believe to be utterly true, and I can anecdotally say I have seen this to be true, but this just resonates so much with how I believe God works in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so the principle of di- divine multiplication is God multiplies that which he touches. So when God is in something, there's always seems to be this little multiplication thing that happens. It it grows beyond what we can explain mm-hmm. in terms of it. I think back years ago of just an incredible season um, in my life when I was teaching in a, a Sunday school, and it just grew amazingly, and it, it grew so far beyond what I was doing as a teacher. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully I was providing good content, but there was such a sense that the Spirit was expanding all of this. And I've seen this, and we told in another uh, episode about uh, a small-ish gift that we made that has ended up being multiplied to create all sorts of schools in Niger. It's been multiplied so far beyond us. Mm -hmm. But I find regularly that when God is in something, it multiplies. So here's a caveat to that. We don't always see the multiplication. Mm. And this is this is a great place for faith. Often the most important things that we might do within our faith are small one-on-one things. And we don't see the impact that that's made on that person's life. And we don't see the impact the impact that that person has had on four others and those four others on many other people. So God does not always make us privy to the way he multiplies things. But I've come to believe, in essence, as a statement of my faith and an encouragement to me that God always multiplies that which he touches. And that helps me even with something like this podcast. I don't know what's going to come of this. I don't know who will listen to it, you know, but I don't need to worry about that because God always multiplies that which he touches. That's an incredible encouragement to me in the day-to-day small, quiet things I do and in the opportunities where I see what he does. Well, and I have two thoughts about that. One is that no matter how much we push for something, if God is not going to bless it, no matter how much effort and grind and angst we put into something, it's just not going to really go anywhere. It's not going to, as they say, like bless other people or produce much fruit. And that has really become a part of how I make decisions in life from simply a conversation with someone that I'm trying to connect with, if it's a real push to connect with them, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I don't, I, I don't push for it. It's almost like I trust that God will tell me what the next faithful step is. I don't have to look way down the road. I don't have to look way down the path. And that's the second thing I was going to bring up is part of this principle of divine multiplication is listening to, to sort of how we, the choices we make with our life, the path we take, the decisions we make. And sometimes we can't see very far, but we do what we do in humility is just take the next small step that feels like the right step and trust that, God will bless what he wants to bless if we're, you know, if we're able to receive that. Right. There's a a verse in Psalms, um, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And uh, from what I understand, the Hebrew word that talks about uh, a lamp unto my feet describes little ankle lights that Mm. people would put on to get from point A to B at night, and it only gave them enough light for the very next step. Hmm. And that's often the way it happens. And it forces us into exactly what you've described of becoming listening people Mm -hmm. to try to uh, 
move away from those things where God doesn't seem to be in the midst of it and to look and throw ourselves into those things where God is in it. And I know that's that's a very vague thing that we can't always identify, but that's okay. That's part of the fun and the journey journey and the adventure of it. Well, it, and it enables us to play a little looser, like to yeah. play loosely, as they say, not play so intensely. And it enables us not to have to push an agenda. You know, we can trust that things are okay, that they're going to work out, and we take the next faithful step. But whether it's pushing an idea onto someone or pushing what we want done or our plan for the day or our plan for our job, we don't have to push to make that happen. I have noticed when I look back on my life, some of the best breakthroughs that I've had are simply surprises that show up in my life. They're nothing I pushed for. They nothing. They're I, they don't come from any agenda. Now I did yeah. have to respond with hard work. Yeah. And but it it was within my grasp. You know what I mean? It wasn't something that was too too big of a reach. Right. I, I love you know one of the stories in the Bible that kind of really exemplifies this is there was a a time when Jesus was out and he'd been uh, preaching to large crowds, 5,000 people, and they were out away from the city and the people were hungry. So Jesus told his uh, disciples to feed them. He said, we don't have any food. All we have is two loaves and five fish that a boy has. Mm -hmm. What happened? He multiplied it. The fish and the bread were important. The beauty was God multiplying it. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that is a fun thing to be involved in when you're in, involved with something that you see God multiply. So it's an encouragement, hopefully. Well, that's great. Well, let's, let's move on to the next principle, the principle of proximity. This one's great. And I've heard you talk about this one before, but tell me what you mean by the principle of proximity. Right. I, I have talked about this before. It, it's so absolutely uh, true and unfortunately a little bit too non-obvious um, in terms of this. So the principle of proximity says we give our attention to that which is closest to us. The place that I've uh, at times maybe been on a rant about this with is with our cell phones. You know, it's the fact that at almost all times my cell phone is in my pocket on my possession that allows me to be addicted and consumed by all the things that the cell phone has you know when we we weren't obsessed with the telephone when the telephone was in two places in our house 50 years ago you know, it wasn't that close to us, but it's when things become really close to us that we become very close to them, mm -hmm. in a sense, and they have that place in our life. The point of the principle of proximity is that proximity is often something that we can control so that we can control what is getting our attention. So, you know, if we're going to overcome the place that the phones have in our life, whether it's social media or YouTube or stocks or whatever, if we want to overcome that, we can't rely on our willpower when our phone remains absolutely tethered to us. We have to create some space. We can also affect this by choosing what does become very close to us. You know, books by our nightstand, mm -hmm. you know, is, is a good example. Uh, the right food in our pantries and in our refrigerators is a good example. So we can use this principle of proximity to avoid things and also to enter into our lives things that are what we want to enter into our lives. Well, and I've noticed this a little bit because I, in where I shop, 
I think about this in, in terms of where I go grocery shopping. And I've I've got to give a shout out to my favorite seafood market lately. It's been this new one. Tuckahoe Seafood has got a new um, owner. Well, new within the last five years. But it's really good. And it's right around the corner from my house. And what I like about it is when I go in, they don't have any re- like any breadth of um, ingredients except for what I would need for dinner. And they're all good and they're all fresh. And so it's limiting but because I'm close to only products that are good and healthy, I end up, the products are slightly more expensive than a normal grocery store, but I end up spending less because I don't have as many choices. I don't pick up random things. I pick up exactly what I need for dinner. And it's, I'm putting myself in proximity with less items and healthier items. And even though I'm spending more, I probably am spending less by the time I leave because I'm not in proximity to all these other kind of quote unquote tempting things that right. I don't really need anyways. Well, yeah. And apart from whether you're spending a little bit more or less, you're ending up making good choices on food as opposed to being tempted by something that is not what you want. Because and it's all about proximity. that proximity. It's, it's all about that proximity, yeah. Exactly. So there, again, are multiple ways that you can apply this principle to issues or ruts, again, going back to the beginning, ruts that you find yourself in, and we all find ourselves in different ruts. And if you can identify that and say, what's the path out of this? What's the principle that maybe I've succumbed to that I can turn on its head Mm -hmm. to get into a better place. So a lot of the hacks that I've, you know, thought about and applied imperfectly in my own life with regards to, um, you know, technological addiction has all revolved around proximity, removing proximity. Okay, I think we're on the last one here, and that's the principle of recency. Right, the principle of recency. This is a, a one that I've just kind of come up with recently, and it it's similar in a sense to the principle of first and even the principle of proximity. The principle of recency says that which is most recent carries the greatest weight. Um, that is, that thing that happened this morning mm-hmm. is high on our mind and high in our emotions, even though the size and magnitude of it may not warrant that mm. because it is the most recent thing. I heard someone uh, giving a talk uh, a while back on grief, and they were talking about this um unexpected thing where someone's grief was substantially greater over losing their dog than when they lost their parent. Mm -hmm. The difference being they lived every single day with their dog. Their parent lived on the other side of the country and they saw it twice a year. So the grief they experienced had to do with the recency, not the place that the parent had had in their life. And where this, again, can be applied is that we can create some recency uh, with things that are important to us. So the Bible's version of this is it talks about remembering and it talks about building memorials. So God would have the Israelites, when something really special happened, build a a memorial of stones. And it was a way of creating recency, because every time they would see that memorial, they would remember that important time that happened, even though it might have happened decades or even hundreds of years ago. It was a way of remembering and bringing that event to recency. So I think there are things in our life that we want to remember, perhaps things we want to forget also, and this principle of recency of trying to perhaps push away, in a sense, things that we want to forget, but bringing close to our minds those things that are important to us, that are valuable, uh, sweet memories, that's that's a, a application of the principle of recency. 
Well, and I think that's what traditions are about. You know, when you create traditions or even what we choose to put on our calendar, how we spend our time, it when we experience something in an embodied way, not, you know, listening to something on our phone or watching something on TV, but an embodied way with other people, it has this way of becoming more forefront in our mind. And that's why I think that whole virtual church thing was so difficult because it it was a, there was a distance. Whereas when we're with people in a place, even if we don't really love the service or we don't necessarily get anything out of the sermon. It doesn't matter because because there's this power in the experience of being with people in a recent way that creates an impression on our lives. Yeah, it's a time version of the principle of proximity. Sure. You know, yeah. and it's 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 absolutely like you say when we when we choose that habit of saying whether I feel like it on you know, a Sunday morning, whatever, to go to church uh, or whenever we might go. When we choose that, it creates a recency, and that recency begins to uh, inform who we are and what's important to us. And the choice not to, to think that we can, in essence, be spiritual without any proximity and without any recency of spiritual things in our life, is is probably an illusion. Well, that's great. So all of these principles, which I'm calling the, the laws of human nature, more of the hidden laws of human nature, I'm just going to read through them. The principle of life, which is our overarching topic, the principle of firsts, the principle of environment, the principle of naming, the principle of finishing well, the principle of small changes, principle of divine multiplication, of proximity, of space, and of recency. Do you have anything you want to add? I think what this has kind of been a, a big, massive dump to uh, put all of this out there. My encouragement this might be one of those episodes you might want to come back to, but. Let's say you don't want to come back to a podcast episode. I totally understand that. My encouragement would be to pick one of these that resonates with you and give yourself the space and the time to let it sink in and to figure out exactly how it applies for good and for bad. Don't try to take it all in at once. It's it's way too much. These are things... Um, that I've spent years and decades kind of thinking about and mulling on, and they come to me in different times. But as a takeaway, I would say pick one mm-hmm. that you've heard that goes, yeah, I need to pay attention to that, and just apply that. If you did that, that would be a, a massive success, in a sense, coming out of of this podcast. And then also, I guess as a second takeaway, be aware of the own patterns in your life. You know, create your own principles mm-hmm. of life. That would be a, a great exercise for for anyone to go through. Well, and I'm interested to hear from people if they have any principles that they've noticed. I think yeah, I would great to love hear. to hear from from anybody on that. All right, thanks, Tommy. These are great. Great, thank you. <laughs>